what's up everybody welcome to episode 58 of so i've been told my name is adam kramer and this is my podcast where i talk to people about music mostly but uh all kinds of creative endeavors uh and my well first of all i just want to apologize for the lateness of this episode coming out life has been crazy and i know life is crazy for everyone right now there's a global pandemic blah 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 whatever but i feel like it's been especially crazy for me over the last couple months i've started a new job which is going great uh but it's just been a lot of life changes and i've been tired and you know i let this kind of get put on the back burner for a little bit but I am back, and I'm very excited about this episode. My, I have three guests on this episode, and it, they are Bradley Swanson and Brian Everett, both of the band Pep Squad and The Company. And I also have Erin Brockway Collins on the episode. And she was one of the organizers of TomFest, which was a festival um, back in the 90s where a bunch of really cool, you know, Christian alternative and punk bands uh, that were from that scene played at. And, you know, as you guys that listen to the pod regularly know, that uh, I have a huge soft spot in my heart for that scene because I grew up being obsessed with a lot of these bands. Anyway, uh, I did want to let you know, around the 51 minute mark, uh, you know, we were having some connection issues, so if it sounds a little weird, uh, specifically, you know, towards the end, that is why, but there's a lot of really good stories in here, and I had a lot of fun talking to uh these three and i hope you guys enjoy the conversation so to kick things off i am going to play punk rock how to by pep squad
How's it going, man? Pretty good. Good. So where where are you located exactly? We are in the Portland area. Okay. Cool. Cool. Oregon. Yeah. And I am in. Uh... Ryan with me. How's it going, man? Hello. Nice to meet all of you. Uh, I am in Rochester, New York. Have you guys ever been out out this way? Oh no. 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 Weird. Well, I guess uh, just while we're kicking things off, if you guys want to kind of introduce yourselves, um, and then we'll just kind of jump in from there. Okay, I'm Bradley Swanson. Um, I, with Aaron and our friend Zia, run a website called The Crawl and Spin Cycle, which focuses on the uh, 90s um, Christian music scene, the punk scene in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Brian, I'm the Pep Squad singer, guitar player. Sweet. That's not all you do. I think you do more than that. Well, I mean, that doesn't. <laughs> that's. Remember me the best, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Pep Squad. I'm Aaron, and I helped run Tom Festival. If you've heard of Tom Festival. Yeah. From '95 um, um, to 2001. Um, work okay. for Mikey Burgess, and um, what else? You were I mean, singer. I was, you had your own bands. I had my own bands, um, and then I was in uh, the background singer for the company, which was the disco okay. band Brad and Brian put together, and so I did backups for that, and I was in a band called Gifty. That's about, and I did a solo thing, whatever that was. Cool, cool. 
And uh, Mikey's got like a TV show coming out, right? Or is something along those lines? Yeah, like a some sort of series. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. We only saw the preview. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's pretty much all I've seen as as well. Is I, I don't really. Uh, I don't. I don't know him, but uh, I've heard him on other podcasts. But uh, so, what what year did you guys form Pep Squad, and how did that all kind of come together? That would be Friars. Okay. Yeah. So I was in other bands at the time, and. Um, you can say the names because they're they be referenced. <laughs> well, I was in a band called One Brother. That was my first one. It wasn't really considered a. It wasn't in the Christian music scene at all. And then um, I was doing that, and my sister, she took up the drums and she wanted to start a band. And so she's actually, you know, kind of good. So I decided to help her put an all-girl band together, and um, we got a couple other people and I uh, I sat in on the bass and guitar and helped them write some songs. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I ended up really liking the band and the song, so I decided to stick with it and, you know, make myself a member. Mm-hmm. And then we found a couple other people and, and that's how, well, one other person, Matt Nash. Later was Brad. Yeah, Matt Nash was original. A bass player, I played guitar and did vocals, and my sister played drums. That was the original Pep Squad. And then later we evolved and got a different drummer, and Brad came in, stuff like that. Yeah. That's how we started the all girl band. (laughs) Did not stay all girl for very long then. (laughs) Was that mostly just because you wanted to be in the band and then also trying to find, you know, the right group of members? That it just kind of um, changed directions? Yeah, I was already in a band that I was serious about, but this one was a lot more fun to me. It was just a lot of fun. I liked the songs. I liked what we were making. And so I decided that was the one I wanted a bit more effort into. What, what year was that? 94. Okay. 94. Our first show was 95. So I think it was about a year before that. Year. Maybe in 93. The first Andy album came out in 95. Yeah. It could have been 90. Well. Yeah. One of those. Cool. And uh, so how did how did you guys kind of get connected with uh, Tooth and Nail? You guys released your... They released your records on BEC, correct? The first one. Yeah, Brad, you're good at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit younger than Brian. That's why. Okay. <laughs> Well, you remember you and uh, we were in a band together at the same time called Motormouth, mm. and that was—I mean, as far as I was concerned, that was like the more serious project. And it was and my I, favorite at the time. Yeah, and I, and I and I felt like Pep Squad was cool and fun, but like that was the side band. Mm. I remember Brian came into rehearsal uh, for Motormouth, and he said. I just signed a record deal for Pep. <laughs> and I was like, why? <laughs> okay. That was Sublime Records. Yeah. Do you remember Sublime Records? Like and a label that- Sublime Records? Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's before my time. I'm, uh, I'm only, I'm going to be, I just turned 34 like two days ago. 
So it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, a little bit of backstory with me. I mean, I don't know if you checked out the podcast and I don't want to interrupt your, your story, but, uh, you know, I, I just kind of grew up being a tooth and nail kid. And so I've been kind of working my, like over the last year or so, I've been working my way through that full catalog, um, which has been quite an undertaking. Um, and so I, and I really like really enjoyed the pep squad records and you know, it's just, it's kind of why I looked you up. Um, because I feel like they sound great. Even in 2020, they like just that, that guitar tone, like, especially, you know, there's so, everybody's like super into 90s stuff. And I just thought that those records held up like especially well and especially given the fact that you guys are a band that I don't think gets talked about a lot by um the people that are doing podcasts and kind of covering that uh that world mm-hmm. yeah i know that's really cool yeah um, well there was a, a label that um, like money backing it called simple hmm. and i had that squad demo basically too so a bunch of different labels and uh so blind picked it up because they were brand new they were looking for new bands that were a little bit alternative maybe and so they picked us up and we i uh, did a deal with them um and then did you record the album twice you recorded that's how i ended up in the band <laughs> you recorded the album one time with the original lineup oh yeah okay we recorded with the original lineup and it didn't cut the mustard they didn't like the drums my sister's not that good it was just <laughs> you know technically very good but i kind of like your weird style and then we re-recorded it with a hired drummer chuck cummings from lsu yeah chuck cummings oh, okay. and learned the songs and played play them and then um but sublime wanted us to make a lot of changes to our lyrics and everything they kept pushing us to change our lyrics and stuff like that and we really didn't want to touch them mm-hmm. and so if i remember right that's what how did brandon get involved i forget i sent him a demo yeah but then he heard we got signed and that made piqued his interest because another record label was interested in us so that made him interested in us even though he already knew us and knew who yeah. we were. and so um, I think that's why we we switched. Am I right? Yeah, they Sublime had decided that you weren't quote unquote Christian enough, and I think <laughs> they were really pushing for that. Yeah. And so they said, "Well, guys, we like you, but sorry." And at that point, I think we all thought that it was over. Like there yeah. was no more. Yeah. So we kind of sh- I remember we shifted for focus onto Motormouth, and we. We did a $500 demo, and we started shopping that, and then all of a sudden, you get a phone call from Brandon, and he purchased the contract from Sublime. Like, there was no, like, negotiation. I bought your contract. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, we were <laughs> on, tooth on tooth and nail. Yeah. I think we wanted to be, we wanted to be on, because we really didn't want to be on Sublime anymore. Under we the circumstances. Friends. Yeah. friends on tooth and nail, too. So yes. Yeah. So we had, we're on the you know they knew he knew who we were and all this stuff so he kind of we kind of wanted to be on there so that kind of happened so we were kind of grateful that that happened at the time that we got to move from one label to the next label mm-hmm. which yeah. was more of you know it was more of our kind of feel we were going for as far as label goes mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, that that's a you know a pretty kind of a peak time for for the label as far as like their output is. I mean, there's like those first few years were super fun to go back and listen to. Um, just a lot of quality stuff coming out of that label, and specifically coming out of the Northwest where you guys are are uh, were and are from. Did all did you guys all kind of grow up uh, on the West Coast? Uh, in that area, or just kind of end up there? How, how did how did you end up there? I moved up here from California when I was about twelve, and so been here for forever. So I was fully Oregonian by that time. Cool. I actually moved up to the Portland, Oregon area. I was living in a place called Bend, Oregon. Okay. It was about 150 miles south of here. And I, I had heard about certain bands up here, like there was Sometime Sunday and the Clergy, um, some other ones. It just, yeah, Soul Food, it just seemed like this, like, utopia yeah. of a big scene. So I moved up here and basically just installed myself into the scene as soon as I got here, started meeting people and networking. And I met Brian, um, I was looking for a band to be in, uh, they, him and some friends of his had made a Christmas compilation okay. called It Knows on Christmas, which is available on the Bandcamp site. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, a friend of mine was on that. His band was on that, and they were going to the studio because they were mixing it. Brian was there. And me and Brian kind of started having small talk and talking shop about music and stuff. And I ended up uh, hooking up with him. Uh, for the Motormouth project. Mm -hmm. And um, the Pep Squad thing, I kind of joined Pep Squad because uh, because of all the weirdness that happened during the recording of the album, and they had a studio drummer, and the bass player didn't even end up playing on the first album. Uh, it was kind of like, well, kind of as a consolation, since you guys were already working uh, with me, how about you just maybe just move it over to Pep Squad? And so Pep Squad kind of shifted to a four piece um and our drummer ended up playing uh with us okay kind of convoluted evan evan yeah evan yeah we switched out my sister couldn't play drums she was she got married and other things happened so she wasn't available so we got another drummer okay yeah Basically, the three guys after that mm -hmm. So, I mean, as, as far as, like, when you guys switched and signed with, with Brandon, was there, like, a conversation? I'm, I'm super interested in why, like, I don't know, I don't always fully understand, like, why he put some artists on, on uh, BEC and why some on Tooth and Nail. Like, some of them, I was like, this, it seemed like Te Pep Squad would have, like, fit more, in my opinion, on the, like, proper Tooth and Nail label. Um, I talked to, to Mike from, uh hangnail recently as well and i kind of just said the same thing it's like I, I think of them as like fitting in with tooth and nail more than the more mainstream imprint that they had uh was that something that was talked about or you guys were just stoked to be working with brandon we were pretty confused at the bc thing um well we were told at the time because we, we were like maybe the third or fourth record to come out on bc mm -hmm. that bc was going to have more of a Christian market. They had a different distributorship. Mm -hmm. that, like, I think I'm, I might EMI. be. They had EMI. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a 
they were trying to be more mainstream. Yeah. I think, I don't know, which I was confused at why they would put a band like Pep Squad on it, but we were like, well, you know, Supertones are on it. And <laughs> we didn't complain. We were okay with it. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. I, mean, I was. Yeah. And I, I know it's, you know, they've even said, like, on the labeled podcast, it's really all the same. It's just, you know, the difference in how it's marketed. I was just curious to know, you know, what you guys, you know, thought of that or if there was confusion there. But, uh, cool. Uh, so did you guys, you know, did you guys start touring? Had you already been touring once you guys, um, you know, got signed and put records out on BC? Um, or is that something that came later or, or not really? I, I honestly, I know very little because there's not a lot of information on uh on pep squad out there online no, locally definitely mm. like kind of the northwest area seattle eugene and, and then some of the smaller towns there was kind of a a circuit um within the scene there was a place there's a little small town called lebanon that we ended up playing at a lot mm. um we played some really weird shows. We played in a barn one time. With, uh, <laughs> but then as far as like national, I think we started touring um, when we were on Sublime. We started touring. They wanted us to tour, and we felt obligated, and, you know, to promote it. And so I think that's when we started touring. Was on we were signed to them. Okay. It was wasn't a good deal or anything. It was like terrible, uh, terrible. Um, tour basically it was just bad venues and not not promoted not promoted at all yeah. it was really bad that was our first tour experience and they put us with some ska bands at the time so we did do the later though well that was a good one that was 98 after yeah that okay. was later what, that what's... was one Mike put together with his band Tragedy and okay and yeah Staff, there are several lo- local bands with, with our national tour. And all best friends. Yeah, we were all yeah. friends. So. Nice. Uh, you like, how far east did you guys end up coming uh, on those tours? All the Virginia. way. Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. We didn't make nice. it up to New York, but we were made as far as Virginia. Right. And we drove but that's as far as we got. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so, and Tom Fest, that was going on that whole time as well. So, um, if you just for anybody listening, can you kind of describe the vibe of that festival? Um, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I know it was kind of more of an alternative thing, and you know, as an East Coast kid, I kind of like always heard about and like saw the ads in like HM magazine for like Cornerstone and Tom Fest, and my whole thing was, you know, it was always way too far for me in Pennsylvania, but. Uh, uh, you know, I grew up kind of going to Purple Door every year. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear about about that. We actually played Purple Door one time. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you, do you want to answer this one? <laughs> Mary actually worked with yeah. Okay, what's the question? Oh, just, just, uh, yeah, just kind of the overall vibe of, of TomFest and, you know, how that came together. Because it seems like that was, you know, kind of an integral uh you know, part of what was going on in the Northwest in this scene at the time. It was, um, Todd Fatal moved here from Seattle and met Mikey and they started Bush. And that was a club that was in the basement of a church and the walls sweat and the <laughs> sweat drip feeling. It was disgusting and incredible all at the same time. <laughs> and we all played there lots of times. And so, um, they started that, and they said, we should just do a festival, too. So they started with 40 bands in 95, 
and it was totally grassroots. It was people donating their time. Um, we did it with $5,000 that a friend of ours had loaned us to do it. And so that first festival was pretty small group of people, um, up 24 hours a day. There were a bunch of hippie drum circles, which drove me insane. (laughs) Um, but it started like that and it continued to stay like that until we started getting bigger donors. Um, and we got bands like POD played, um, old Zendura, what's another big one? Saker. Dave Saker. Yeah. So we had some big names in there that brought in a lot of, lot of people. And so it got a little more mainstream at that point, not musically because at the time we required the bands to send in a testimony and, and, um, let us know where they stand with the Lord. Mm. We were kind of into that first. And then we kind of lost sight of the whole purpose and just continued to keep doing shows. And, um, yeah, so it got a little more like, oh, we're going to a big festival. And before it was like, this is so cool. You know, like we were giddy about it. And then it was like, here we go. Outdoor stages and indoor stages. And one yeah. was like a, a barn. Yeah, one was in the barn. One was in like a shed kind mm-hmm. of thing. Lots of stages. And the, the thing about Mikey is when he runs something, it's tight. And so it was the band on the outside stage gets done at 524. The inside stage band starts playing at 525. Like, mm-hmm. you have to run to the next stage if you <laughs> want to see the band back. Yeah. So um, he he runs anything like that. He runs it like a top. Cool. So, but got to be a little too commercial. And covered us one year. Yes, they did. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was the biggest year. I think we had 20,000 people in wow. here. It yep. was beautiful. Um, lots of people like Cornerstone better just because it was the original kind of thing. Mm. But um, I, it was wet and muddy, and so I fell. So, it, it was even more. <laughs> right. Yeah. We sort of had this, like... Like, we had Jesus Northwest um, oh, yeah. in the area, okay. and we sort of had this idea that Tom Fest would almost be the alternative to something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, Tom, I don't know who came up with the name Tom Fest. It was, okay, so in the van, okay, <laughs> okay so in the van, we're driving to look at the land in Skamania County. We're going to see if we can get the fairgrounds. So we go down to this meeting, Todd and Mikey and I, and I think Roy Fisher, who's done sound for us for... 30 years or something, um, longer than 30 years. Um, we went over there, and when we were leaving, Mikey goes, now we just have to name it. And Roy said, how about how about we just name it Tom? <laughs> and, like, left. Okay. <laughs> and so we named it Tom because Tom's just, like, a dumb name. And so then years later, a few years later, some pastors said, we call it the Other Music Festival. And we're like, oh, okay. So then we started calling it that. So Jesus yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, and like I was, <laughs> as I, you know, kind of talking about, you know, Purple Door. I mean, you know, it's not that far away from like where they did Creation Fest. So, in some ways, it was kind of the the similar thing where they were like the the cooler festival with the bands that you know the Tooth and Nail bands and all of the bands that um, 
cool people wanted to see as opposed to like you know whoever was playing the the stage at the main stage at creation <laughs> so yeah yeah probably dc talk which uh you know whatever i uh you know i feel like if i were at a dc talk show today i'd probably have a really great time listening to those songs um but that's a whole other uh <laughs> it's a whole other thing we ended up playing a festival with dc talk yeah what was it called it was in minnesota should i tell that story that's a great story sure and i also okay. yeah i was gonna say i love all the i love stories about interactions with like with you know kind of the the Christian music world, because that's you know that's I grew up knowing about all of these bands, so I love it. So we had a, a gig at Sunfest. You know Sunfest? I've heard of it. So yeah. Oh, Sunfest was like the vibe was really weird. They had like too many stages, mm. um, five or six stages, and they had bands happening at the same time. So there was like this hierarchy at that one. They had the big main stage, and then there was like the second stage and then there's the third stage and you know and then the peon stage the peon stage and i think <laughs> played the peon stage at like two o'clock in the afternoon yeah so we weren't anybody so mostly we just hung out at the merch booth you know trying to by that time i think we were really broke <laughs> we were dead broke yeah trying really got big girls trying to make money and we had our, our attitude after being on a christian tour very jaded mm-hmm. to say the I was, I was done with it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. If we any money at that festival, we were gonna drive home the next day and quit the tour. Yeah. It was bad. (laughs) So, or and there was this hierarchy thing going on. I went backstage and they're checking us all in, and um, Talk was gonna play that night. And I remember I was hanging out with Alan Aguirre. You know, uh, scattered few. Yeah. Few actually. Uh, I think that that's one thing that made it bearable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Alan was really, right. really yeah, funny, and we loved hanging out with him. Yeah. yeah. He seems like a, he seems like an interesting character for sure. Definitely. He is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm standing next to Alan Aguirre, and we're signing up uh, to get on, and like there's different like you have to sign up for your when you're gonna have the breakfast and da 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 and. Right to the right are these backstage passes for DC Talk. And Alan leans over like this, and he just starts grabbing them and passing them back to me. (laughs) (laughs) Shoving them all in my pocket. And I'm like, we're broke. I mean, like, this point, we're just, like, hustling to even stay on the road. Yeah. And back to our merch booth, nobody there knows who we are. They're all there. They've been sent there by their parents or they're there to see DC Talk or whoever. (laughs) Monkey, I don't know. <laughs> and we're at our, at our merch booth with backstage passes to DC Talk. And kids will come up, they start talking to us, and da, da, da. I'm like, Do you like DC Talk? Yeah, we're talking. I pull up these backstage passes, and I'm like, If you buy like a CD and a t shirt, I'll give you this backstage pass. <laughs> and I, I think we had like 15 or 20 of them. <laughs> using him to sell our merch. <laughs> there was this kid that I, I don't know, it was like a kid that I very randomly knew from high school, from Ben Oregon, and he had ended up getting some job working for a Christian label. Okay. His name, I'm not going to say his name, but he, oh, we were, and I think he told on us, and 
it came up in like if you guys been doing these no. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't think directly actually sold the backstage passes, but we were like, yeah, you buy a CD, we'll give you one. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no uh, direct. Uh, you know, no. Uh, they they didn't talk. You didn't talk to the. Uh, the guys from DC talk at all about it? No, nothing. It didn't come to come to blows or anything crazy. Uh, that's that's good. <laughs> we got it. Nice, nice. Uh, so yeah, I mean, when you guys were touring, was most of the touring you were doing um, within that kind of Christian bubble, or did you guys get the chance with Pep Squad to kind of you know take a step and kind of play more club shows? Um, because I mean, your, your records, I mean, there's definitely like spiritual content on them, but they're not, uh, they're certainly not, I, I didn't find them to be heavy handed in any way. Um, and like, I wouldn't have felt like it would have felt out of place on just like regular shows. We, that was the goal yeah. from the very beginning. Um, we had thought that with some of the connections that Tooth and Nail BC had, you know, we had seen the Supertones on Fame. TV and uh, they had played some of the late night shows. We thought we're next. We're gonna go that route. Um, but I also remember the first Pep Squad album, No Doy, mm-hmm. had been from like a big Christian. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but they banned our record because they said the front cover was somebody burning down a church. <laughs> Just a bunch of really dumb reasons, but our record got banned, and <laughs> uh, and we were kind of like, who cares? You know, like yeah. we want to be in, want to be in Walmart. We don't care. Yeah. Uh, but Abel was pretty concerned because you know that's their bread and butter, and when you have like half of your distribution cut off, learning. So they were like. We really want you guys to maybe do some more Christian-y type stuff on the next album. Or we were kind of like, uh, that's not really what we do. Yeah. And they said, well, okay, we're going to do this compilation album with the bands, the more controversial bands that kind of get themselves in trouble in the industry, like just Joe Christmas. Um, us. Just There was several bands on Tooth and Nail at the time that they weren't really Christian bands. I mean, Pep yeah. Squad being one of them. Yeah. I mean, we were from team, but that's, that was never really our focus. So they said, we're going to do a praise and worship album with all of these bands, just to sort of prove that we're... <laughs> so we wrote the song, and I mean, we wrote it two days before we recorded our album, and we had this whole laundry list of things we, we needed to do down there when we recorded at Green Room. We had to record our album, we were going to be possibly on this Cure and Smith's tribute thing, uh, praise and worship thing, and we were like needed to knock out all this stuff in two weeks. So yeah. we recorded a very Christian song called On That Day, and put it on this praise and worship compilation that Tooth and Nail was going to do. Mm-hmm. We turned the album in, we turned all the material in, and they go, we really like that song On That Day. And we're like, hey, <laughs> how'd you like it? And we're going to put it on the album. And we're like, no, 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 don't, don't put it on there. And they'd already had issues with one of the songs that got dropped off the album called um, Black, and Black and Blue. 
this distributor, the Christian distributor said that they wouldn't carry the album again if that song was on it. So it was like, oh, okay. So they took one of our songs off and then they put this side project type song on it. It's on the album now. But they actually replaced it from, right? Yeah, theme from. They did a bunch of weird stuff, moving things around. Mm -hmm. uh, That song on the album. And then, to add insult to injury, they released it as a single. (laughs) Not even a a good song. It's It's really not. not. It's scripture, but the music, it's not even close to anything you guys get. It's so unrelated to to what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of leads to sort of a sore spot that we started getting with them. We felt like we had handed them, like with Wairika Bakery, I, I really was proud of that record. I thought we had... We've gone as far with that project as we possibly could, and it was, I was proud of it. And um, then they released this song as the single, and we're like, well, we gave you, like, you know, there's like five songs that we kind of had in mind for singles, and you put this song that we weren't even intending to have on the album out. Uh, And then I remember we were frustrated about that. Yeah. We, I remember we played a show in Seattle, and we ended up, hanging out with Brandon and Bill and a bunch of the guys from the label and they're talking they're like we really really uh, need to sell some records blah 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 and mm-hmm. we're thinking about we had a disco song you probably heard it called The Floor mm-hmm. and uh, we want to release a disco song as a single I'm like disco <laughs> <"A> song <laughs> and uh we were like, I don't know what you guys are thinking. And he's like, well, I just really think maybe that disco song could hit. And I said, somebody in the room said, why don't you just like let us do an entire disco album then? <laughs> and Brandon looks at us and goes, I dare you. I dare you. And we were like, are you serious? And that's kind of how the company happened. I don't know yeah. about the company. Yeah. And that's how the company came to be. And what what year was that that you released that the company's album? No, the company was two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. Uh, F Squad, Wairika Bakery came out in ninety eight, eight, 99, 98, 99. Yeah. Because I remember him doing that. We were all roommates, all three of us. Oh, too, cool. By the way. Cool. Um, and so I remember Brian working on that, all that art for Wairika Bakery and. And they changed my person. <laughs> Remember that? Mm-hmm. They changed the, the whole way out and did a booklet inside. When I got the finished product, they had added pictures and subtracted things. Oh, wow. That kind of, that really, yeah, but it's been a lot of time on it. And it was good, I thought. And most of it was intact, but then they put just some awful pictures. Anyway, so then I just kind of getting disenchanted with Truth and Anyway. Is anybody from Truth and Alice seeing this? We absolutely love you. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to, you know, stir up any uh, any controversy. You know, I just want to hear, you know, hear a, hear how it went. A bad blood towards the end of the whole situation. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that that's water under the bridge at this point. Right. Oh yeah, it's twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, what was the what was the issue with with the song Black and Blue that they didn't want it on the record? <laughs> they thought they found it creepy. 
and it was kind of creepy. It was just uh, me. I was singing in that. They dropped the pitch, so it was kind of like a creepy like voice. And then the lyrics were a big problem. They thought it was about a stalker. It was about a stalker. No. It sounds like a guy yeah. who's stalking his joke. girlfriend. He was talking to you, yeah. and he's gonna beat the crap out of her and make her black and blue. And that's mm. no, no, no. That wasn't it. No. No, but if you look at it like that, it, that's that, what it's. That's how people interpreted it. That's yes. not really what I meant by it. Oh, I know, no. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> but other people saw it like that. We were listening to Chocolate Cheese a lot in the car, by Wayne in the van a lot. <laughs> it was more like yeah, it was like the changing the voice thing. But I wanted to. I was saying like. I'm beating myself up, blocking over you. Okay. Came across, I want to beat you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the song on Wairika Bakery that's listed as Black and Blue was originally called Theme From, but they had already printed it. Printed the artwork. Ah, uh, okay. I took this song that didn't have lyrics and threw it on there and called it Black and Blue. The original version of Black and Blue actually said it says the. Yeah, and it's if you look on Bandcamp, uh, the Pep Squad album, Factor Fiction, which okay. is sort of oh, the, yeah. it's on there. Cool. If you want to hear. Cool. Yeah, because I was I was looking at my Apple Music as you were talking about. It. I was like, oh, the, it says Black and Blue on there, and so I was a little confused. It's on but, there because they yeah. did a last minute switcheroo like two weeks before the album came out and already had printed the artwork. Okay. Like okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Uh, and it's also on that record. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm curious because I'm kind of a nerd and a fan of professional wrestling. Uh, are you guys also wrestling fans with the the fabulous Moolah track on there? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. You wrote it. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I did. Because it's fun. Yeah, Kim had listened to, I believe, a morning show that day and was talking about Moolah. Oh, because we thought it was interesting because she was a grandma and a wrestler. Yeah. And it fit with the Pep Squad whole feel, like kind of funny, fun topics or whatever. And I think that's how we came up with it and we just wrote that. That that song was the first song that we wrote with me in the band. I remember that. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was I was just curious because I'm, I'm like, that's like one of my like super nerdy things is I'm still like obsessed with professional wrestling probably more so now than what I was as a kid weirdly but uh so I was just curious uh, about that <laughs> yeah that's all it is we, we just kind of thought it was kind of interesting and yeah fun and fascinating you know that there was someone out there like that yeah if uh, you know if you're interested at all in going down a, a weird rabbit hole uh, you know, read up on some of the allegations about the uh, fabulous moolah. It gets pretty weird and dark. Oh wow! Yeah. I wonder if she ever she ever heard that song before she died. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> died. We thought that fabulous moolah would have been a, a great single. I was thinking that the whole time, like this is the single, this is the one, this is the one. Yeah. And we thought maybe we could get her to do a video with us, but <laughs> um, unfortunately, we never made a video. But. Yeah, I mean that. I was just gonna say, yeah, I mean, like timing-wise, coming out in '99, there's, you know, wrestling was huge at the time, so that, you know, that might have been a missed opportunity to have that as the single. Thank you. I feel, I feel like that whole album was a missed opportunity. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, like, I mean, like I said, I, I think it, I think it sounds great and sounds, sounds, you know, if it came out today, I think people would love it. Uh, I also, I wanted to say that, that the company's record is I didn't know anything about the background of it when I got to it, kind of as I've been listening through all of the, the Tooth and Nail BEC albums, and uh, I really, I really enjoyed it way more than I thought of. Thought I was going to, because I, you know, I didn't know it was you guys. I just saw the disco ball on the cover and assumed it was going to suck. Um, and then it was a super fun record that I really enjoyed. Awesome, cool, cool. We we put a lot more actual work into that album than we did anything else. Anything else because of the kind of music it is. It's just yeah. a little bit more difficult, but. For me, the company was, I can't speak for anybody else, but it was my attempt to sell out to Christian music. <laughs> and because we had gone through this whole, we were like, well, Pep Squad's going to get on a college tour, and then we're going to, you know, and it never happened. Yeah. And they pushing us more into the Christian thing, and then they released that song as a single. And then they were like, we're going to release a disco album. And I'm like, okay, fine. I want a double word then. Whatever. <laughs> We were gonna milk it for all we could. Yeah, if yeah. We're gonna do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was also I, I believe that was I, I'd have to double check, but I feel like wasn't that around the same time that Newsboys released a a disco album? There's a who did Newsboys. Newsboys, yes, they did. Yeah. We were home. I was thinking, yeah, okay, we'll jump on that. Coattails. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I just looked it up and it was 1999 when Newsboys released Love Liberty Disco. So there was was something, something in the water going on in the late nineties with disco. Maybe that's why Brandon had the idea that we should do a disco album. I was actually pretty shocked by how bad that album did, honestly. Like I expected it to do a lot more than it did. Mm. Because I was thinking, oh, we got the soccer moms, and, you know. Well, that's because you made Brandon that. I did make Brandon pretty bad. And he shelved it, basically, so that's why it never went anywhere. And even if he hadn't shelved it, the band was ready to implode, so nothing was ever going to come with that band either way. We had too many personalities, like, in the band that didn't get along, and so it was, like, just an accident waiting to happen, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine Brian going on tour for six months playing the company every night and wearing those costumes? I wouldn't do it. It was a lot of um, stage. Lots. There was stage. A lot. Okay. It took nine people, nine people to pull that off live and yeah. costumes. And it's sort of like, I remember the last time we played, we played some local club in Portland and then we played in front of like six people. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. I can't do this. It's a lot more fun to listen to than to try and pull off live. You know? uh, yeah, I, I believe it. I, it's, there's a lot going on on those tracks. So, with was it kind of similar with with Pep Squad? Did you guys feel? Did you guys get a, a like kind of a groundswell there in Portland? Because um, I know sometimes I hear about bands that like they start and they're awesome and they but they start touring and then they don't have that like home base. Um, uh-huh. And so I was just you know how, you know is that did you have a little bit more of that with Pep Squad? Yeah, I thought we had a really great home base. Um, we had a lot of 
fans and at the Tom Fest, and, and whenever we play the show, we were the headliner, and you know stuff like that. Yeah, great home base. But um, aside from that, we had nothing out beyond our home base. You know, yeah. out there in the in the world. So that was a little discouraging too, because we we're pretty, um, you know, pretty well known for local band, and then but when we go out, no one knows you. So it's kind of like. Let's just stay home, you know. Yeah. yeah. That was what our the very last song we wrote as Pep Squad was about. Mm-hmm. Punk rock how to. I mentioned uh Factor Fiction earlier, which is yeah. an album on Bandcamp. It's not on uh, iTunes or anything, but mm-hmm. there's a song on there called Punk Rock How To and it's the very last song Pep Squad ever recorded. And it says uh playing a sold out show for twenty three tonight and it's basically talking about that going on the road. Yeah. With all these high expectations and just being like, oh man, having the wind taken out of your sails and, you know. It was supposed to come out on the greatest hits. We put together greatest hits kind of with like B-sides and live stuff. Yeah. And it was supposed to come out on Tooth and Nail. And then it never did, but the album was complete. And that we recorded that track especially for that album, mm-hmm. which never came out. So. But it's out now. It's on Bandcamp. Well, it's yeah. on Bandcamp. Tooth and Nail didn't put it out. Yeah. So what do you know? Kind of where did you know? Obviously, there's like twenty some years to talk about, but you know. So what kind of what did you guys? What direction did you guys go in as far as playing music? Did you play in other bands post uh, Pep Squad and the company? And you know what's uh, you know what do you guys do now musically or just with your lives in general? I'm you know. Well, I'll go first because mine's easier. I haven't done anything since the company. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I did a little solo project that I never really put out. I mean, I think it's on Bandcamp, but it's just basically electronic pop, and I okay. put that out, the denominators. I think it's on Bandcamp, right? It's not. You can put it out. Okay. And that's all <laughs> I did. That was back in 2001, though, so okay. since then I haven't done anything. Okay. I'm in a band called Low and Bad from 2001 to, uh, gosh, we broke up in... 2013, so quite a while. Yeah, uh, we have an album out called uh, "Bricks for the Naysayers." Um, it was me and my ex-wife, so okay. I'm really proud of it. I'm really glad it's over, but you know, uh, and that was more of kind of a, a soul trip hop, okay, you know, alternative thing. Yeah, so um, we almost made it, but you know, <laughs> almost. Yeah, you're pretty good vocally. Yeah, we had a, we did have a big following in Seattle and. Portland and Eugene area. Yeah. Got some interest, but yeah, and it ended. Yeah. Okay. And what what year did Tom Fest go until? I'm just curious to kind of hear about you know when that went to till and. The company played in 2000. Mm. That was our last show. They can Tom Fest continued at a different location. They moved, yeah, they moved to um, Lacamas Lake. Mm. Um, some friends of his have like a Bible camp up there, mm-hmm. and they had cabins and stuff, just like you'd go with your church for like family camp kind of thing. So everybody yeah. had cabins if they wanted, or they could camp on the ground. Um, and so they did the same kind of thing there, but there was three stages, I think, four stages. There's acoustic. 
Um, one outdoor they called the hardcore stage, so it was, you know, really loud and you can't understand it, but that's okay. <laughs> and then um, another outside one the where main stage, main stage yeah, way in the field, yeah, it was really cool. And then um, an in, inside stage, yeah. So, no, and then, an, then another stage, then another one for acoustic and crap, yeah. Hmm. So we they were there for a few years. I can't remember what year it was. Wasn't there a gap between the original Fest and the new location? No. No gap in years? There was not a gap. There was a break at one point. It was like a three-year break or something, and we came back once or twice, and then that was it. But I can't remember what year. Oh, wait, wait, wait. 2009. 2009, I believe, was the last year. Tom Fest in Lachemus was there because in 2008 I remember being there and we sang with Tragedy Ann and then mm. um, 2009 we went and we watched Illuminator or whatever remember we were just yeah. there late and we did karaoke and stuff yeah. so that's the last time because I always would go and visit if I wasn't working sure. yeah so. anyway yeah yeah just kind of kind of out of curiosity along with those you know with uh you know that it was right right around the same time when all of those festivals kind of were were ending and kind of i think that coincides a lot with just kind of the the whole idea of there being a separate market for christian music kind of just has kind of disappeared with the exception of worship music um you know so what you know what are you guys thoughts on you know kind of the christian music scene uh you know is it you know, is you know, do you think, despite all of the the problems that were within it, that it was you know a net positive? Um, you know, I'm just always curious. You know, as someone who's, you know, like I said, I kind of grew up around that, and then, you know, as I came, you know, grew up and started playing in bands. By the time I was starting playing in bands, there was like really no, like very little barrier between it was all just kind of you know a scene i have a lot of really positive memories and mm-hmm. i made a lot of lifelong friends i mean sitting next to two of them mm-hmm. yeah um i really enjoyed the time there i had no interest in being in christian music mm-hmm. i really didn't not nothing like bad because I liked a lot of the bands and I used to go see the bands and I enjoyed a lot of them but even when we were doing Pep Squad it was like okay the mainstream how are we going to get into you know we like when we found out our album was getting banned from a Christian distributor I was like good you know <laughs> let's get let's get us on a college tour that goal was always to get mm-hmm. uh get away from it yeah but not that I was bitter towards it but I tell you when I went on tour nationwide i really felt out of place at some of these places that we played we were totally out of place pretty much everywhere we went yeah mm-hmm. we were not we didn't sound like any other bands at the time in the christian music scene and we just never fit in very well mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay that we didn't care because we were doing our thing and that's what we wanted to do and it was it was more of a stepping stone i think for us to the christian music scene i was i didn't really grow up in the christian music scene i had my other bands before that, Evil Twin Brother was one of my bands, and we were totally, completely, like, secular club band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I kind of got into the Christian music scene through the back door, which is kind of weird. Um, 
and so that's how I ended up in it. But my real like um, interest was more of like the mainstream alternative music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I'm a Christian, but I I wanted to do mainstream music with like a Christian message tucked in there, or some kind of like positive um, message in the music, you know. Cool. I, I mean, I do have a lot of good memories, obviously, because I, you know, me and Aaron created that website, and yeah. I do recognize that what we were doing in the 90s here, particularly in the Northwest, was kind of unique and kind of special. Um, I think for a lot of years, I was trying to distance myself from it, especially when I was doing low and bad, but the more I thought about it and I'd hear the old stuff, I was like, this is really cool, and... Um, when I started showing it to my kids, they were like, oh my gosh, you know, we had no idea. And I started putting uh, the Bandcamp website together with Aaron, and it just exploded. Um, yeah, I'm thankful that that was a part of my life. Me too. I'm glad I did it and I have like, a positive memory, you know, with all the, you know, problems, but overall positive and yeah. grateful that I was part of it. Cool. I almost think the positive, though, that, that like you mentioned, um, that there's not really a separate market anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because, the, you know, the general uh, music industry has completely changed. Yeah. And now you can make your own album and put it out yourself. You, you know, I mean, at the time, I think a lot of Christian bands um, that were kind of at our level, that lower level, mm-hmm. you could, they, they would sign... You know, they didn't care. It was like, oh, you'll pay for us to record an album. Yes, okay, you know. Oh, so it's Christian, that's cool. Like, going into the studio back, $10,000 album, I mean, it might as well be $100,000 album. In the 90s, was like going to Disneyland. Yeah. It was if you're able to cut a professional, even a professional demo, it was like group deals that basically you know, we just did it. Just to get it really get the music that you Right. You are uh, breaking up a little bit there, but I think I think I got a better connection oh, like, now. Yes. Yeah. In that sense, it's really doesn't Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you broke. You're breaking up a little bit there. Can't really hear you guys now. All right, not sure what happened, but we'll 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 try to keep on pushing through here. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, you were just saying how you know a lot of bands were uh, just signing um, just because there was an offer, um, and I think that was kind of the last thing I heard. Yeah. Well, that and we just said that we we. You know, I would have done it again. You know, it was a great memory. Yeah. Um, great time of my life. So. Yeah. Uh, and Brian said the one thing you would have done, you would have kept the band together a few more years and done a couple more albums. Right. Right. So, you know, tell me a little bit about the, the band camp. I'm going to make sure I link everything here. Um, I was really impressed when, uh, I, I think I'd actually found that a couple days before I had uh, talked to you the first time. And I was just really, I'm like such a nerd as far as I love just kind of digging into the history of all this stuff. 
And so seeing that you guys had really taken a lot of time and kind of put a lot of stuff on that website for you know anybody who was looking for the history of that scene to find, I was just really impressed with that. Can you hear me now? Yeah, okay, yeah, just got a lot clearer. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, we're going to switch real quick. Okay. Anyway, uh, the band camp started because Aaron had a... Well, how did you do that? I did this FaceTime. Oh. Just that type the number in there, and then boom. Okay. Crazy, is that... Oh... Yeah, if you put the number, if you want to use it, you can call them on that, and then you can talk on that. I don't know if it would be better or not. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, started because uh, I had a whole collection of, of tapes from that that time, and uh, and Erin had a solo album, and she was looking for someone to digitize it. Mm-hmm. And Bandcamp was brand new at the time, and so we just threw up a Bandcamp account, and I just put it on there basically just to send it to her yeah and from there other people had seen what we were doing and started sending stuff in and um then we started the facebook account um for the crown and spin cycle but it was kind of just an accident and you know i'm kind of ocd when it comes to stuff like that i can't do things halfway so yeah you know i did put you know tried to make it sound as good as possible it was weird in the first couple of years I don't think people some of the people that I put out weren't really happy with it mm-hmm. but as time has gone on I think they've been a little bit more comfortable with having that stuff out there because a kid like I said earlier our kids are really into it yeah yeah so cool uh, so are, are you the only one out of the three of you that has kids or do you guys do you, know, do you guys have kids as well we all have kids yeah. we all have kids Cool. How old are How old are your kids? My kids are grown. Okay. My kids are um, 19, 21, and 23, and my older two are married, and I have a grandson who is eight oh, cool. year old. Awesome. Congrats on mine that. Are 19, 16 and 13. Okay. And mine are 19 and 12. Okay. Cool. And are are they all kind of into? Have they all kind of followed in your footsteps or is it more just you know interested in it because you did it um or any of them musicians uh, my son is he's really oh. into music he's actually pretty good at writing and singing cool he's really into singing and stuff so he doesn't really know all that much about actually what i did in the 90s he mm-hmm. just knows i was in a band and he likes it but he doesn't that's all he knows it's very he's very musically inclined mm-hmm. cool my youngest son is really into hip-hop too but uh, the other two like music a lot but only the youngest actually does music mm. um so do you guys you know do you guys have anything that you know any more recent projects that you want to promote other than that Bandcamp page um, you know, either way, I've really enjoyed, uh, kind of hearing more of the background story of the bands. And I hope that I, you know, not that I get a ton of listeners, but I hope whoever, you know, whoever listens to this, I hope at least a few people, you know, give you, uh, 
some streams on you know with that uh, company record and uh, and Pep Squad for sure. Um, the Bandcamp page, um, yeah, I would I would love to see more traffic on there. Um, I mean, we talked to uh, the other person that helps us with Zia. She's the one who, if you go to the Facebook page, she's pretty much responsible for all of the pictures on there. Okay. And I've talked to her for years. Like, I wish somebody would kind of come, almost come forward and do like almost a documentary on that scene or something. And I think Mikey was talking about something like that happening. But mm-hmm. it's a really interesting story. If anybody's, uh, you know got the resources and is interested but uh the Bandcamp site is called the corral on spin cycle um as far as anything i've done recently i produced an album for my friend jedediah robigo okay. called as i have lived and brian actually sang backups on some of it oh cool um, kind of a folk country punk thing nice so, very cool yeah awesome other than that, no, not, not a whole lot. <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to make a solo someday. Same here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in the same boat. I've been working on the same batch of solo songs for years, so maybe you know, I totally get where you're coming from there. Do you have anything else? Uh, nothing within the last few years. Uh, well. Trying to think when the last thing I would have released would have been maybe it was 2017. So I was in a band, in a band called Treadwater. Uh, it was kind of a metallic hardcore thing. Um, I've played in a lot of hardcore bands, despite the fact like I like obviously I like that music, but I haven't. You know, I feel like more of what I listen to is kind of like you know just like punk rock and like just general indie rock type stuff, but. Uh, yeah, most of what I've done, uh, it seems like most of what I've done that people have resonated with has been heavier stuff. Well, another thing I wanted to, I think we're freezing up a little bit. Um, what was it? What was the name? Uh, it's called Treadwater. Uh, it's Treadwater five eight five dot bandcamp dot com. Treadwater. I'll uh, I'll send you the link. Okay. If you want to check it out. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the most. I wasn't in, wasn't in the band for the last thing that they released, uh, but I was on the other, the the other two things. But uh, yeah, 2018. That's a, that's the last time I've released something. So I'm about about to. Cool. But uh, yeah, what the one? What was that? I said we keep hinting at possibly wanting to do a Pep Squad EP again, but. You know, then we have to actually get together and work. <laughs> well, I would, you know, if that happens, I would love to hear it. Um, I, I do have another kind of question for for Aaron, uh, since we talked about Tom Fest. Um, has you know, has anyone done anything kind of uh, so like chronicle the history of Tom Fest as far as like? you know, a list of lineups or anything like that. Cause I, that's something I'd love to love to see or, uh, you know, so check out if there's a website. The Facebook, Facebook group, Corral and Spin Cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, Zia has put up pictures of all of the programs. Oh, cool. Um, for all the ones she went to. So it's extensive. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's kind of fun to look and find your name and, and find bands you haven't heard of in years. And yeah. so that is available on the Facebook group. Awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, I didn't know about the Facebook group before this conversation, but I'll definitely be checking that out. And, oh, cool. You know, I'm, you know, it's 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 interesting now. Like I said, I mean, this is that kind of Northwest music world was so. I mean, it, it was you know across the country for me, um, and I only knew about what was going on, and really only knew about bands because like HM magazine. Um, that was where I found out about a lot of stuff because it was pre-internet so yeah. awesome mm -hmm. yeah mikey and and doug van pelt were pretty good buddies and so we would exchange things like he sometimes sunday play a show or something for a um for him um and then he would put an ad in for tom fest or whatever so we would mm -hmm. kind of barter with him in the with hm magazine so cool. kind of cool yeah Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out. Like I said, I, I you know, I, you know, mostly I just wanted to kind of hear the story of how, you know, what happened with Pep Squad and hopefully get you guys some traffic to that Bandcamp page and some streams on the, uh, you know, on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, because uh, I think the records are really great and uh, deserve to, you know, to get some listens. Sure. Yeah.
just heard the original version of Black and Blue by Pep Squad. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together. Make sure, if you want to hear more, obviously, you know, use the, uh, you know, the normal streaming things if you want to find Pep Squad uh, and the company. Their albums are there on Apple Music and Spotify. But really, uh, definitely check out the Coral on Spin Cycle Bandcamp. That's going to be the first link that I post in here. It's got, you know, some, uh, you know, that it's a full album of unreleased and B-sides from Pep Squad, as well as a ton of other really cool stuff uh, from the Pacific Northwest back in the 90s and early 2000s. Lots of really good stuff. Uh, they're really doing a lot of great work over there trying to preserve the scene that they have been a part of so thank you guys so much for listening i really hope you dug it uh you know i hopefully will be back sooner than later i've got some really cool things in the works that i'm really excited about so be on the lookout